Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. We, uh, today we have something really special happening. Um, we uh, invited Pastor Nathan Finocchio um, to come and give us a message. And Pastor Nathan, um, he used to be on staff at different churches, and uh, now uh, he has started his own uh, theology school. He has an online Bible college, and uh, many of our staff are um, part of taking that curriculum in. And um, Pastor Nathan has just helped me so much in, in just understanding of the Bible and understanding different books of the Bible, understanding context of the Bible. And I, I just believe he's got a, a message today that's really going to get to your heart and, and really help you. And so um, we're, we're, we have a video message from Pastor Nathan Finocchio specifically filmed for us this morning. So could you put your hands together and welcome Pastor Nathan Finocchio today. Hi, Celebration Church, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Wow, you beauty. I have not been to Edmonton in some time. I have been to the West Edmonton Mall. I did shoot guns at that mall. It was wonderful. I love that there's a mall where you can go and shoot guns. So God bless you, Edmonton. Uh, hopefully you guys are on the mend. Things are starting to open up. Keep your fingers crossed. Um, I am Canadian. My name is Nathan, by the way. I'm from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and I live uh, here in Palm Springs. Uh, that's where I'm, 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 I am now. My wife and I, my wife Jasmine and I, we moved here a couple of years ago. And um, anyhow, all that to say, it's an honor to be with you this morning. And let's get into this. If you're taking notes, this uh, talk is called, What is God Like? What is God Like? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to start looking at some scripture. Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for Celebration Church. Thank you for Edmonton. Lord, thank you for the impact that they're making there. And God, I'm just asking you that you would continue to encourage them and strengthen them and let them know your presence and let them know true Holy Spirit community. Um, bless them. Help the Oilers. In Jesus' name, amen. There's always next year. Okay. Um, what is God like? Well, obviously there's a lot of opinions about what God is like. Everybody has or seems to have an opinion on what God is like. If you just look at TikTok and Instagram, there's plenty of people who'd like to tell you what God is like. And so I've been thinking it would probably be good to just kind of revisit some basic stuff. So if this kind of bores you and it's kind of basic for you, that's fine. You can just, you know, chill out, pretend like you're interested. Um, but maybe, you know, you've been thinking about this. What is God like? And there are some themes that, you know, definitely sometimes there's, there's, there's tensions. And ultimately, all truth is in tension. Because the scriptures say a lot about what God is like. We're not going to, uh, we're going to create like a, a rough sketch of some major themes. By no means is this um, an entire catechism of what God is or, or some sort of systematic theology on every single scripture verse that, you know, like God is a provider, you know, God is a healer, uh, God is a restorer. There's a lot of things that God is, but I want to focus on some major themes and then see how that tension works out. And hopefully it can help us 
come up with a theology that helps us navigate these very confusing times when people seem to say that God is like this or God is like that, and the pendulum seems to swing one way uh, or swing another way, and there seems to be a lack of balance or, or scriptural tension in the way that we think about and describe God. So first thing, first, first thing I want to talk about is how God is spirit. God is spirit. And this is what Jesus says in John 4.24. He says that God is spirit, you know, and, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Um, the, 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 what Jesus' idea here when he's saying God is spirit isn't that God is immaterial or that God is um, a disembodied being, okay? Um God is bodied, but God is qualitatively other. He's not matter, and he's not not matter. God exists in a in a qualitatively other experience and another dimension. He just exists on a on a completely different level altogether, a level that we can really only access a in the spirit um, and b by faith. But God is qualitatively other. Um, God, in, in quantum mechanics, some of you uh, might be familiar with this, but uh, you know the time-space continuum uh, type deal you know, has a definitive point. And whoever created or whatever created, and this is obviously to you, we know that God created time, space, and matter. Um, but in science, whatever or whoever created time, space, and matter that has a definitive beginning, and that whatever created had to be something outside of it, something qualitatively other. Time, space, and matter all exist together. They can't exist without one another. And something outside of time, outside of space, and outside of matter um, created the time-space continuum. And that's that kind of helps us explain what Jesus is getting after when he's saying God is spirit. Um, Jesus obviously isn't trying to give us a scientific definition of what God is or who God is, but he's saying God is, he's something other, dude. Um, he created all things, okay? And he's outside of time, outside of space, outside of matter, but he's embodied and he's God, um, obviously not embodied by matter, something else, obviously something much weightier, something much more real um, than the experience that you and I are having in, in this temporality, in this mortality. But God is spirit, um, and God is looking for people to worship him in spirit, um, which is, it's, it's, a, it's a connection that is external to, um, you know, that, that connects to the reality of who God is, and in truth, um, in spirit and in truth. And what Jesus means by this is God isn't looking for people to have spiritual experiences that are uh, disembodied. Um, or compartmentalized, or somehow um, not grounded in any sort of reality, but God is looking for people who are going to have a totally integrated worship experience with him. People who worship him in, in, in spirit by faith, right? Believing that he is. Um, but ultimately people who they have these truth encounters with, the, with this God who has communicated who stepped outside of time, space, and matter. By the way, you can't know somebody who's created time, space, and matter unless 
they enter time, space, and matter and reveal themselves. And that is what's happened with the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, this person who is qualitatively other, who we could never know because he, like, empiricism doesn't apply to him. We can't apply the scientific method to somebody who exists outside of time, outside of space, and outside of matter. But this God steps into the story, into this time, space, matter that he's created, and begins to um, reveal himself. God's self-revelation is the scripture. And so as we be, we come to know God, we can know him in truth. I can't know God um, exhaustively, but I can know God accurately. I can't know God exhaustively, but I can know God accurately. And Jesus is saying, hey, the Father's looking for somebody who's going to respond. There's going to be a spirit connection, but also people who will worship him accurately. People who don't project onto God. People that aren't trying to manipulate God or say that God is this or that or the other thing. But people who will receive him for who he is um, and worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay, so God is spirit. Secondly, God is holy. Uh, you know, the Bible talks about God being holy like over 400 times. There's this picture in Revelation 4, verse 8, and it's, it's absolutely fascinating. Now, the old, the, you know, whenever the Old Testament is talking about God, the, kind of the whole purpose of the first five books of the, of the Old Testament and people's dealings with God and the, all the prophets, etc., there's this, there's this, and, and if you've been around and you know just you know the Bible, you know that God is holy, and that's sort of the whole point of the Old Testament to go. This God is has absolute moral perfection. He's perfectly sinless, um, and he is a consuming fire. The, the author of Hebrews writes, and and he, he's just he cannot dwell where sin is. He's perfectly righteous and he consumes things that are imperfect up. Like people were rightfully sort of like nervous around God uh, in the Old Testament because of his holiness, his absolute moral perfection. And so God is trying to teach the Israelites, these, his people, how to be around him in their imperfect and immoral state in their state of fallenness and sinfulness, how to be around a holy God. That's kind of the story of the Old Testament. How can we be God's people but, 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 and be close to him and draw near to him, but be an unholy people? Okay, so, but then we see in, in Revelation uh, chapter 4, you know, this is, a, John is looking into heaven here, and he sees these uh, these living creatures who night and day, it says, Revelation 4, 8, night and day, they sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. Night and day, that is what he's called. That's, that is what he's called. Night and day. The angels don't cry, love, 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 or provider, 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 or whatever other awesome reality that God is. This is the primary descriptor, the primary adjective describing God. Holy, holy, holy. He is holy. It's, it's unbelievable. He's a holy God. And um, so we see these, you know, everything beautiful and good and, and wonderful, you know, even God's love. Uh, now, God is love, 1 John 4, 8, okay? God is love. God is spirit. God is holy. God is love. But God's love comes from 
his holiness, his absolute perfect, because he has absolute moral perfection, he's constantly willing the good of people and things around him. That's his, because he's holy, he's just, he's perfectly sinless. His posture towards humanity and his posture towards his creation is love because of his holiness. So God's love is a holy love, always willing the best, always being patient and kind and merciful and desiring the best outcome. God's love is a holy love. Beyond self-definition, one of the major ways we find out who people really are is by their passions. Okay, we're going to switch gears here for a second. So we talked about how God's spirit, God's holy, God's love. But let's talk about God's passions for a second. So beyond self-definition, you know, when you, if, if the way you get to know people is you ask them questions and you allow them to self-define. You don't project onto people. I mean, we do that and we shouldn't be doing that. But ultimately what we should be doing is asking people to self-define. So other than God's self-revelation, self-definition in scripture, um, we see God's passions. Now, um, I've said this before and I'll say it again. You are not your Enneagram number or your Myers-Briggs assessment or your strength finder colors or your Disney princess result, okay? Um, all of those things may talk about a reality uh, that is your your ego and your, your you know, talk about how how you protect yourself in the world and your knee jerks and your propensities and your proclivities. Um, psychometrics, there's nothing wrong with a psychometric. Um, okay, you had this child, childhood trauma at the age of two. And and so, you know, when something bad happens, you withdraw, um, you know, or, you know, you've developed these certain, or you have these interests, et cetera. And they, they, they tell an aspect of you, but the, tr the truth, like none of them are the truth about you. The truth about you is what you are passionate about. The Latin word passion means to suffer. That's what it means, to suffer. And you are what you are willing to suffer for. That's the truth. The truth is what you're willing to suffer for. What are you willing to, you know, to stick out? What are you willing to not quit for? What do you always have enough money for? You know, <laughs> what do you always have enough time for, right? That's what you're passionate about, okay? And the things that you're passionate about that's where your heart is. That's where you're right, where your treasure is, your heart, but ultimately where your pat what you're willing to suffer for. Now, the cross is such a good look at God. It's such a great look at God because it shows us his passion. It shows us what he's willing to suffer for. And the two things that he's willing to suffer for. In fact, when you look at the cross, it's like old covenant and new covenant crossing over just like that old testament new testament cross there's a it's a convergence point of god's two great passions firstly the convergence point of god's holiness jesus died so that a, a unholy sinful people could access the Father, and so that God could have relationship, right? Remember when Jesus died, the veil was torn in two. The, the divider that was keeping us out, now we're able to come boldly before the throne of grace. That was torn in two, right? Jesus and his body, he took the sin of the world, and all of those who appropriate the blood of Jesus Christ by faith, 
now become the righteousness of God. And now we're a holy priesthood and a holy nation because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But it was God going, I have to, I, God is passionate about his, about his holiness. And so the cross fulfilled God's passion for his moral perfection, which I love. I love that God's like, I am passionate about me being awesome. And that's what God did on the cross. He's like, I'm, I'm going to deal with this holy thing. I know that y'all are unholy, but I'm going to find a way to deal with this. And so it was dealt with in the, you know, the sacrificial system obviously um, anticipates Jesus, the sacrifice lamb, taking the sin of the world so that now a whole, uh, a holy God has made for himself a people who are holy by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So God is passionate. He's willing to suffer for his holiness. Jesus suffered for, for the holiness of God, okay? Would not violate it. Number two, God suffered because he loves us. That's cool. So when I look at the cross, I can go, Lord, you're passionate about your holiness and you're passionate about me. You love me so much that you would suffer because of your holiness, right? So we see at, at the cross, this convergence point of God willing to suffer for his holiness, to uphold it, and willing to suffer for his love for the world. God so loved the world that he gave his son. It's, a, it's an incredible, incredible, incredible story. This is how God reveals himself so incredibly clearly as a perfect person, right, who loves people but will not violate his holiness. And now sinners are invited to repent of their sins and agree with God uh, that there is sin in their life. That's that's humbling yourself before the Lord, right? And as we do that, as we, we agree with God, okay, God, you know, I, I agree with you about my sin nature, about my fallenness, um, the Greek word for repentance, one of the main ones used, metanoeo, means you know to 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 to, uh, to change your mind, to agree, to agree with God. Um, you know, we're we're able to receive this holiness as we admit, you humble yourself before the Lord. Um, then you're able to receive the righteousness of Christ by faith, and then these people can live a life of worship in spirit and in truth in which they are in a real relationship with a real person who has shown us who he really is. It's not a spirituality that is unconnected to reality or disconnected to reality rather, but it's a spirituality that is connected to the God of the universe in truth as he has revealed himself and, and, and meeting the requirements that he's asked. No, I want you to repent of your sins. I want you to believe in your heart, confess in your mouth that God is who, who he is, right? And repent of your sins. Admit that you have a problem and now receive my righteousness. That's spirit and truth worship. But somehow, okay, somehow, after all that, just explain those concepts there, somehow people continue to project. <laughs> just go on Instagram, man. Go on TikTok. And you have all the TikTok preachers, these young and old fools. Uh, they call God things that they are not, which makes them foolish. They say things about God that he has never said. And this is for a variety of reasons, okay? Uh, but in my opinion, mainly because they think that they are at the center of the universe and insist that the world 
is as they say it is. It reminds me of my niece, Georgie. Georgie's three, and uh, she does not live in any sort of reality whatsoever. It, it's, it's, it is both wonderful. This is why we love toddlers um, and despise them because of just the, the total lack of reality um, that they often live in. Like, for example, I give Georgie candy. Uh, it's one of my favorite things to do. I love to give her chocolate. She calls it Gokwik. And I like to give her Gokwik. And she basically thinks I'm Willy Wonka. She has no idea what I do for a living. She thinks I'm just the candy man. Whenever she sees me, she's like, Gokwik. Um, you know, it's all about what she can get. You know, um, she has a chocolate addiction. I aided her in that. Um, she thinks Fortnite, for example, is about uh, this this kitty cat song. Okay, Fortnite is not about I'm a kick kick kitty. I'm a cat. If you mess with me, you're gonna get scratched. Okay, like when she's like, oh, Uncle, Uncle Nate, kitty song. No, Uncle Nate's dominating people over here. I just sniped a guy from like two thousand yards out. Right? She doesn't understand what's going on. She's three. She's ignorant. And it's all about Georgie. Uh, today, I was FaceTiming her and, and she's on this thing right now where she will only wear a dress that swirls. <laughs> she, she only wears a dress that swirls. Okay? So, so my mom and my sister were were showing her all the dress, showing me all the dresses that so she was putting on a little fashion thing. Oh, and they're putting all these dresses and all these dresses. Okay, swirl, Georgie, swirl. And she swirls around, you know, you know, and, and then she put one on and it wouldn't swirl the way she wanted it to swirl. And she started to ball her eyes. At, eh, eh, you know, it won't swirl. And um, there's like, th this reminds me just of, of, of many modern of people who claim to be a Christian, you know, like it's not swirling, right? Like the, the, everything is about them and my Christianity needs to swirl. And if it doesn't swirl and do the thing, oh, then people lose their mind. Well, just my God doesn't do that. My God swirls, you know, like my Christianity swirls on a Sunday morning. It needs to swirl. Um, you know, if you're picking and choosing what parts of the, of the God of the Bible you will agree with, and which parts you you won't? You're not a Christian. You're a Buddhist. If you think that you're the center of the world, and spirituality all exists to serve you and your goals and revolve around you, and you're just trying to make it swirl all the time, you're not a Christian. You're a Buddhist. Okay, um, and that's you want to go be a Buddhist, go be a Buddhist. But let me tell you what Christianity looks like. Christianity is for people who have surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ, however imperfectly. Let me tell you, that's a life goal there. Uh, but essentially what you're going is, Jesus, you are Lord, and I believe who you are, and I accept that you have say over every part of life. And Lord, the things that you say are true. You are true. Your words are life. Your words are true. And so I'm going to live, however imperfectly, in your direction. So I receive your words, Lord. I receive, you know, I, I receive the conviction that comes with your words. I receive the warmth and the blessing and the goodness that comes from your words. But Lord, I, I can hand the keys over. That's what Christians do. 
Christians accept the person and the words of God as revealed in Scripture. Now, God is merciful and kind and patient and forgiving, okay, to the, to the humble. But he resists the proud. Um, and, and we can't confuse the mercy of God for the humble uh, with the resisting of the proud. And that's what oftentimes happens. We confuse God's mercy for the humble, right, uh, and his grace for the humble with his resisting of the proud. And we go, no, well, God's merciful. Yeah, but he resists the proud. That's, that's New Testament. That's Peter talking. Scripture from beginning to end is full of stories where God just shut people down at altars when they would, you know, come and worship in in in, in wrong ways. Let, let's go through some of these ways. People, people trying to project on God, manipulate God, make everything swirl, and then God's just like, and, and this is from cover to cover. You got Cain and Abel, okay? Um, Cain and Abel, Genesis 4, 3 to 8. You guys might know this is like the first family ever in Scripture. And they're having a little worship service. And um, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Like he brought some of the fruits. And then Abel brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. Abel brings, Abel brings the, you know, the, the, fat, the good stuff and the firstborn. Cain brings some. Um, but God uh, did not look on favor to Cain's offering. God rejected Cain's offering. So Cain got angry with God, and, he's, and, he, and his face was downcast. He was not swirling. And the Lord said, Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Uh, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? See, there's acceptable forms of worship. We see that throughout the Old Testament and through that New Testament. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Uh, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while, while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And um, basically, you know, failure at the altar produced death in the field. Cain's rejected there, and he then he, he goes and he does something stupid. Um, so idea simply being here that God's not going to take any old offering that you give him. He wants the best. And that's what he's asked for. So you want to know him accurately and you want to give him what he wants. You want to be somebody who worships in spirit and in truth and you're, you're, you're right. Then you'll, you'll have accepted worship, but there there's worship that God just frankly won't accept. And it can produce death in our life in the same way that it produced death in Cain and Abel. Um, Nadab and Abihu. Here's another pair of brothers. Leviticus 10, one to two. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. Fire that God hadn't asked for. Contrary to his command. These are two priests. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. Just a careless and assumptive offering that results in their death. Uh, you know, once again, hey, this is, this is what I've asked. This is what's acceptable. And these guys just don't didn't care. They projected, they assumed, presumed, speculated what God wanted. Oh, well, we're going to give you this, okay? How do you like your native and a bihu? Crispy? Right? Maybe it's like the father turned and said that to the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus is like, come on, guys. That is horrible. I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, then you've got Uzzah. This is a great example here. 2 Samuel 6, 5-7. 
David and all Israel are celebrating with all their might before the Lord, and they've got all the instruments out, and they came to the this threshing floor, and, and Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. They'd put the ark, they, Uzzah, who was a priest and knew better, had the, the law of Moses, thought it would be a good idea to put the ark on a oxen cart. And so it, the oxen stumbled, Uzzah tries to stop it, and the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of the irreverent of his irreverent act of touching the, the ark. He can't not allowed to do that. And God struck him down and he died right, right there beside the ark of, the, of, of God. Um, and then we see in 1 Chronicles 15, David summoned Zadok and Abiathar the priests. And he said to them, hey guys, you're the heads of the Levitical families. You and your fellow Levites are to consecrate yourselves and bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place I prepared for it. He's, this is a second attempt, okay? First attempt fails and somebody dies. Um. David says this, it was because of you, the Levites, um, it's because you did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. So the priests and Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord, you know, uh, and the Levites carried the ark of the Lord with the poles on their shoulders as Moses had commanded in accordance with the word of the Lord. Okay, so God had an order of worship. And when it was not respected, right, Uzzah died. And it and the crazy thing is you see David, you know, he was intentions were so pure, right? Like, but but it doesn't matter what your intentions are. God wants what God wants. So, well, I just want to connect to God. That's great, but you need to do it in the right way. I want to connect with God, but I don't really believe in Jesus. My intentions are so pure though. Yeah, but that's not worshiping in spirit and truth, right? I, I love God so much, but I'm just not cool with the Bible. That's not spirit and truth, right? That's not going to work. That, that kind of worship is not going to bring life. It's, it's going to bring the opposite of life. As we're seeing in these Old Testament passages, we're going to get to the New Testament, by the way, okay? But I'm just trying to show you that there are lots of people who died at altars in the Old Testament. And we're going to see in the New Testament, so um, let's keep reading. This is spooky. Some of you are like, this is the scariest sermon I've ever heard in my life. Thanks a lot, man. Calm down. It's, it's going to get worse. Then it's going to get better. 1 Samuel 15, 22. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. Your, your intentions don't matter if you're ignoring what God wants. To obey is better than sacrifice. I can give my wife all the gifts that she wants, um, but that never shows her that I love her when I purpose, purposefully ignore what she's asked for. Makeup gifts don't create intimacy. Obedience creates intimacy. Uzziah, this is another guy, not to be confused, confused with Uzzah. Um, 2 Chronicles 26, 16, 21. After Uzziah was a king, um, in, in Jerusalem. And after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. And that's sort of the common denominator of all of these, these things here. There's pride. People think that, they oh, like I can do whatever I want because I'm cool. The universe revolves around me. Forget God. Forget what he desires or what he wants or what his preferences are. It's, it's the Nathan show. It, I just want it to spin. It just it spins, right? Um, Uz, uh, so Uzziah 
uh, was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So this guy is like, I'm an amazing king and God's blessing me. And he presumes to operate as a priest. As Uriah the priest with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord followed him in. They confronted King Uzziah and said, it is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord God. Uzziah, who had a censer in his, ready, his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. While he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. Um, and he had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous, and banned from the temple of the Lord. Yeah, pride will cause you to assume who God is, presume upon the grace of God. All right, that's a scary place to presume, presume upon the grace of God. So you know, people have asked me, um, this is kind of, this is a little bit, little bit off topic, but just give you an application. You know, people are like, you know, what happens when you, if somebody commits suicide, you know, do they go to heaven? And I'm like, or, you know, and they're a Christian. I'm like, well, I don't know. I believe that God is merciful. Okay. Um, but I'm not going to presume upon the grace of God. <laughs> that's a that's a big gamble, right? And so what we, we, there has to be a little bit of fear um, that that keeps you that goes. You know what? The Lord is merciful. The Lord is gracious. But I'm not going to use that as license to do stupid things. I do enough stupid things as it is, right? I don't need to presume anymore on the grace of God. Um, you hearing me? and speculate upon God's self-revelation. That sort of pride is going to get you fried. I like that. I just did that just now. So uh, Ananias and Sapphira, here we are in the New Testament. Um, you might know this story. A man named Ananias, together with his, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. Uh, with his wife's full knowledge, Full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Um, and then... Uh, you know, the next thing, his, his wife comes in and she lies and boom, the, you know, the Lord kills her too. And they both die just like that. Um, rather than going into the details, let's just recognize that these are people, you know, in, in, Acts, in, in Acts 5, they were of, they were of the believers. Uh, they knew the Holy Spirit. You know, they, they lied to him, right? Um, now, I actually think that this is the discipline of the Lord. Um, which actually only confirms that they were children of God. Um, it was the discipline of the Lord that dropped them, okay? Um, because God disciplines those that he loves. But regardless, these are Christians, and this is after the cross, right? Well, New Testament, Old Testament, yeah, I get that, that, that God would kill them, but he would never do that now. Eh. Acts 5, let that temper your theology, allow that to temper your assumptions and your presumptions about the grace of God. And more importantly, our worship. Okay? How we consider uh, ourselves in 
reference to um, and in light of the God of the universe, right? It, it, it doesn't all revolve around me. It's all about him. It's his story. He's the one at the center of it all. And so when I'm coming into church, you know, I, I'm coming to serve him and his. Church isn't all about me. It's about him. Um, and this is where we're going to end here. We're going to end in Corinth. In Corinth, uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, you've got these people who are getting drunk and there's no food left over. In the, um, in the early church, they would start with a potluck meal and it was called the love feast. And then after the love feast, they'd go into the Eucharist to take the cup and the wine and then they'd begin to pray and the gifts of the spirit would begin to manifest and then there'd be a teaching time. That was kind of the order of service. But at the love feast, the, the, you know, the poor had nothing and the rich would bring all the food. And what was happening in Corinth was the rich were, were bringing the food. They were eating first because they were acting like the way they act outside in Corinth in a, in a, in a, in a population and in a society that everybody's jostling for number one. And these rich people would eat all the food. There's nothing left for the poor people. And then they'd get hammered drunk. And so Paul's like, you know, what? You're you're getting drunk? Like at church? You know, like you're, and he begins to talk about eating at the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner. And Paul's whole point here, this disorderly worship, he begins to say like this, the reason why there are people that are sick among you and some have fell asleep, which by, by the way, fall asleep in every single context and every single usage in the New Testament is to die. So Paul's going, there's the reason why there's people that are sick among you and some of you are dying is because you're eating of the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner. I.e., you're coming to church and you're thinking that it's all about you. And God isn't acknowledged. An acceptable form of worship is not even being acknowledged. It's all about you shoving your piggy little face and thinking that the world it doesn't need space. It needs to spin. It's, that's dangerous. That's not a safe way to worship God. Clearly in 1 Corinthians 11, right? So then Paul says, no, guys, when you get together, examine yourself. Like, think of what you're doing. Why are you here? You're here for him and his. You're here to worship him and to strengthen others. You're not here for yourself. Paul says, if you want to eat, eat at home. You want to drink, drink at home. But when we gather together, we're not here for anybody else, but for the Lord and for others. This is what it means to worship in spirit and truth. To show a bit of humility and go, God, I'm not here. I'm not going to make this all about me. Lord, please help me to see that it's all about you. Now, this is the exciting part. In 1 Corinthians, Paul's talking about the cup. And he calls it the cup of blessing. The cup of blessing. It's really exciting. And the concept is this, is that when we eat in a, in a, in a worthy manner, which is, Lord, <laughs> you know, the communion table isn't for people who don't sin. The communion table is for sinners. It's for people who need God. But it's for the humble. It's for people who will go, God, I need you. I'm not at the center of the universe. You are. And I, I, I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need your, your kindness. And Lord, I'm coming to the table of the Lord to, to, to receive from you, God, what I need. I need mercy. I need grace. I need help in time of need. And Lord, I am coming boldly in the name of Jesus. 
Um, but Lord, I'm coming to the cup of blessing. You see, it's a cup of blessing. Blessing spiritually, blessing physically, blessing materially. In the same way that God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth, and there are, there are spiritual and physical ramifications, it's the same way in terms of the blessing of God. So when we come into church and we, we're, you know, we're worshiping and we're celebrating the Eucharist and we're receiving communion together and we're, we're right, that is, it's lifeblood. It's the blessing of God. See, there's life. It's like a fire. If you don't respect a fire, you get burnt. If you respect a fire, it is so much fun and it's warmth and it's crackly and it's wonderful and it's life, right? And that's what Christian worship is. Christian worship is for people who go, God, I'm not going to be a Christian Buddhist who's just doing a little sprinkling, but it's all on my terms. No, you are the fire. You're a consuming fire. And I'm here to worship you. You are holy. You love me, but it's a holy love. And you expect me to worship you in spirit and in truth. And so, God, I'm going to respect that you are a consuming fire. I'm going to respect the fact that this is about you. Lord, I cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And God, I beat my chest today and go, I am, I am a sinner and I need your mercy and I need your grace. This is not about me. This is about you. And as I do that, paradoxically, I receive mercy and grace and help in time of need. And I drink the cup of blessing and it brings me life and it brings me fullness and the spirit of God is there and I am filled to overflowing. But if I come into church... And, you know, it doesn't make, trying to make it swirl and, and oh my God is like this. And like, oh, there's things about the Bible that I don't really like. And there's things about God that I don't really like. And I just did a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's really about me and like how I felt. And I just, uh, I don't know. I, right. And you're making, that's a really dangerous way to come to God. I highly recommend that you don't do that. I highly recommend that if you've been in the habit of doing that to repent now. And ask the Lord for his, for his forgiveness. Say, God, I've been making this all about me. I'm, in fact, God, I'm a bit nervous, Lord, in terms of what I've been inviting, in terms of what I've been drinking. I don't want to drink judgment like 1 Corinthians 11. No, Lord, I, I want to drink blessing into my life. So, God, if there's, if there's any part of me that I have been putting myself first and, and living in my own little space and not putting you first, Lord, I ask you to, I, I repent of that today. And I ask you that your Holy Spirit would underline and highlight areas in my life where I have been proud. Lord, you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. Lord, let me be a worshiper who worships the Father in spirit and in truth. Lord, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you're passionate about your love for me, but you're passionate about your holiness too. And you want this, my worship experience, to be a fully integrated, truthful worship experience. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your church. Jesus, I thank you for your church that you died for to make her holy and to make her spotless. And Father, I just ask you uh, that this word would convict. Lord, convict my heart. Lord, make me a worshiper who worships you in spirit and in truth. God, I ask you that these, uh, the pride that, that has been creeping into our church um, through all types of various sociological and philosophical um, ideologies that are just satanic. Um, they're, 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 they're mindful of the things of man and not the things of God. Things that would put us in the driver's seat. Um, ideologies and philosophies that would make us the judge and that would put God on trial. 
God, I ask you that we would repent of those things. Father, in places where I cast doubt upon your word and where I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm thinking when I'm reading the scriptures that I'm right and the scriptures are wrong. Lord, would you please cleanse us of that type of thinking and that type of posture. And Lord, let us assume a posture of worship where we realize that, Jesus, you are real and your words are true. And Lord, that we hand the key of lordship to you today. And we go, Lord, Jesus, you be Lord. And where, where there is distance between my life and your word, God, I just admit, I, I, I just humble myself before you and I just say, Lord, I need you. I receive your mercy and I receive your grace. I need you, God. And Lord, help us to be aware um, that when we come to you, we come to church, we come to the cup of blessing, it's about you. It's about you. It's not about us. It's about you. We are here for you and yours. We exist to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.